551 years before Christ, a man was born in the ancient Chinese kingdom of Zhou. His teachings, philosophy, and contribution to religious development have had such a lasting effect on the world and the image of him that it's stereotypical for all Eastern thinkers. Confucius espoused the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, long before anyone else did. master said is reciprocity not such a word what you do not want others to do to you you do not do to others confucius okay well i mean we can start with some eastern wisdom it would be appropriate for this episode anthony medera and i with another episode of blind history it's interesting this guy is almost a mythological character you know we spoke about ramesses when you go back too far it's very hard to ascertain what is true and what is made up And also, a lot of these people gather legend around them for years after they're dead. And Confucius was the founder, obviously, of Confucianism and of Taoism in some ways. He is supposed to have been a real man who lived as a Chinese teacher, editor, politician, and philosopher in what they call the spring and autumn periods of Chinese history. He's traditionally credited with having authored and edited many of the classical texts in China, including the five classics. There are loads of these sayings and these quotations that people pull out to attribute to themselves the ability to have wisdom when a lot of them were probably written by this one guy. It's entirely possible that he was this one absolute genius, this one mastermind, a kind of Renaissance man of early China long before the European Renaissance had taken place. Well, if it is him alone, it's incredible what he did. He also had disciples. There was up to 70 people following him around in the later years. And he only started really writing these things in his 30s, where he started developing, let's say, the books that we know and we read today, the Analects, as they call it. Mm-hmm. He wasn't too concerned about the human rights side. He was more concerned about the respect of elders, how you treat in different relationships. And effective government. And like effective he was, government. He yes. was almost there before Machiavelli's The Prince as a guide for people to, to run governments better, to organize people better to make things work. He was a massive proponent of efficiency. And I suppose for a lot of people, they tend to confuse Confucianism with religion, when a lot of people have argued that actually the vision and values of Confucianism are much more secular. And it's about morality. It's about making the right decisions, Mm. about doing the right thing. These are the things that I suppose many of us adopt now as good ideas of how to run your life and how to how to do things, how to treat other people and so on. And if you look at it, he talks specifically about relationships, relationships between husband and wife, relationships between son and father, relationships between a brother and a, a younger brother and an older brother, relationships between a subject and a sovereign, those key relationships. And how do you deal with those relationships when you're either the younger or the older or you're the sovereign or you're the subject? You need to respect it's important to respect your elders. It's important to respect your government. But on the other hand as well, the government needs to be able to nurture and look after your your subjects. So he talks very much about that. He also talks about one person leading a government or leading in certain instances is not always the best to do. Mm. He's very clear on that. He said you need to have – you need to spread that. And remember this was quite something for that time because until then the only way that people had been ruled is by – 
authoritarian mm. regimes and by autocrats. And this predates Athens and the, the word democracy by about 200 years. So in that respect, he could be called the pre-founder of democracy. Certainly I mean, not democracy, but perhaps oligarchy or perhaps decentralized government. Yes, it was so far advanced and way before its time. And I think in those days, if you just by mistake looked at somebody, you, know, you got your head chopped off. <laughs> so it's that was very scary times, and there wasn't any industry. I mean, they just you know they planted a few rice paddies, and it was you know there wasn't a, there wasn't any industry of sorts. No. So if you think about what he says and how we apply it today, it's just phenomenal. Like everything, during his time, most people said, well, what's this guy talking about? But 300 years later or 200 years after his death, they adopted that as the state yeah. philosophy. That was incredible. Well, there were no contemporary paintings or sculptures of what he actually might have looked like. And this is part of the reason a lot of people say, well, it's mostly mythology. But it was only during the Han Dynasty, much, much later on, that they uncovered a portrait of him in the tomb of uh, the Marquis of Haihun, who died in 59 BC. So by then, 400 years mm. had already passed. And the picture was painted on a wooden frame, polished brass mirror. They found portraits of, of him in temples. But apparently, it was decided the only proper portrait of Confucius should be in the temple in his hometown. And in other temples, he's represented in memorial tablets. So they only have one that they refer to as the actual portrait of Confucius. And there's a foundation, the China Confucius Foundation, who commissioned a standard portrait that everyone else has to follow, and there's no deviation from it. So that's how he looked according to them. Only one, no others, no other examples. Sorry. So that's the heavy set gentleman with the ponytail. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. That's exactly the one. Apparently the Supreme Court of the United States has him depicted on the wall in the South Wall frieze of the Supreme Court as a teacher of harmony, learning, and virtue. So he even exists as a part of American jurisprudence now as a result of his portrait there on the wall. And there are lots of uh, places that you would find Confucius you wouldn't expect to. The Vatican Library has a bunch of his writings. The fridges. In That's all right. our homes. That's right. Everyone's fridge, yeah. every magnet on every fridge. I mean, the golden rule is just famous. There's another one on the golden rule. <laughs> he I thought holds Marcus a, Aurelius yeah. had, a, had a, a monopoly on fridge <laughs> yeah. magnets. It turns out Confucius is No, no, I think Confucius, exactly. But there's another slant to the golden rule that he who holds yeah. the gold rules. So, but I don't think Confucius said that. <laughs> well, what you do not wish for yourself, do not to others is another variation of that. But there are a lot of quotes that people uh, pull out whenever they're trying to sound smart. And, you know, they usually start off with Confucius or the master say, and this is the joke of them. But Zi Gong, who's one of his disciples, once asked him, is there any one word that could guide a person throughout life? Just one word. And he replied, this thing that you referred to earlier, how about reciprocity? Never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Another variation mm -hmm. of the golden rule. It seems to be something that was so powerful in his teaching that it, ultimately might have trickled through and become Jesus's love one another as I have loved you. I don't want to be treated badly. It makes so much sense. You know, it how seems you like it has resonance. It is, yeah, spot on 100%. So in early Confucian tradition, it was about doing the proper thing at the proper time and balancing between maintaining existing norms and then violating them in order to accomplish ethical good. So this could be part of our discussion also about why we've chosen the people that we've chosen as the representatives of the first series of Blind History, because we've tried to identify people who didn't just maintain, but who broke the rules. Mm. 
This is a clear indication. I mean, today, exactly what you said earlier, Gareth, how long ago was this? And it's still carried through today. So apparently with Confucius, <clears throat> there are also lots of discussions around who his descendants were. And every Chinese imperial government since his death has basically tried to identify and honor successive descendants by giving them posts in the government. Um, there were titles handed out. And apparently up to the 46th generation of Confucius's descendants have been parts of various Chinese governments. That's phenomenal. Unbelievable. That's, That's incredible. That goes back further than the popes, sure. further than any medieval kings. That would be quite something. And, you know, there was a high risk that he wasn't even going to be born. Oh, really? Yeah, because his dad it divorced his, well, not his mom, but divorced his wife. They'd been married for a long time because she could never give him a son. There was one son, but he was um, deformed. There was something wrong. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and then and then, and then that, make you want to give up. So then he married a teenage girl, lady or girl, and she gave him Confucius. Oh wow! So yeah. he almost didn't come he to be. He almost didn't come to there's being. A, there's a good golden rule: keep trying. <laughs> yeah, keep trying. <laughs> so apparently, um, they they printed a recent edition of the Confucius genealogy, and it was unveiled in a ceremony in his hometown of of Khufu. On the 24th of September 2009, and it was the first time they've included female descendants of his. So only recently did they decide that women really mattered, <laughs> even if his father eventually found a wife who was able to produce confusion. That must have been the CCP. They must have had something to do with that. So apparently he is actually buried. His actual body is uh, buried in the town of Khufu in China. And apparently there are still regular ceremonies that are held, rituals. There's a is a shrine to him. Is it the actual body? So yeah, they've got his body. It's buried under some rocks in his hometown. It's now, sure. now a little bit of a shrine up on the mountainside. But it's strange that they didn't nowadays with the DNA try and open it up and see what he actually really looked like. Well, while we're talking about China, you know the, the terracotta warriors, right? Don't. Those terracotta yeah. soldiers that are a famous exhibition that you go to central China to go and see. And there's a mountain under which the first Chinese emperor, Qin, is buried. And the Chinese government absolutely refused for anyone to do any digging around there. But they say under that mountain, it's an artificial mountain. It was built as his tomb. It's the size of a pyramid. Hmm. They say that you will probably find unbelievable treasures and historical objects and value, sure. valuable um, you know, uh, relics and, and even the body of the first great Chinese emperor. Now, that's something that, that I is think incredible. would be the best archaeological discovery of our time yeah. if they only allowed it. But if, it's, it's amazing that nobody has been clever enough to actually get through. Maybe you just don't disturb the dead, and that's more important. Yeah, that's the, maybe that is the thinking. So even the Muslim right. community believe Confucius was a divine prophet of God. Uh, Lao Tzu and other eminent Chinese personages are included too. And in modern times, an asteroid, uh, asteroid 7853, was named after Confucius. It's incredible. So, so even in modern science and, and astronomy, uh, Confucius is represented. And he has a place. Yeah, absolutely. And just on a practical level, his only son died just before him. And one of his disciples, or the one that he loved the most, passed away at a very similar time. It was too much on him. And a year later, he passed away hmm. as well. Heartbreak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it was the age of around 70. Incredible. Wow, Confucius, huh? I'm not Confucius at all. <laughs> Me neither. He's incredible.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is CliffCentral.com.